0: Welcome to the e commerce toolbox expert perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e commerce business to the next level with your hosts, Kalen and Philip.
1: Welcome to the e commerce toolbox. Joining us today, we have the chief digital officer and someone I know quite well over the last few years. Matt has over 16 years of experience in e-commerce, having worked at companies like AO and obviously the famous Ribble Cycles. So Matt heads up all their digital initiatives and is a e-commerce expert, like I mentioned, with over 16 years of experience. So welcome, Matt. We're really excited to have you.
2: It's my pleasure to say 16 years sort of me feel very old, folks. Yes. Hopefully, wise then. Over the 16 years, done numerous different roles, even within the businesses that work touching all things from performance right through to tech. So it's an interesting space that is always evolving.
1: No, that's for sure. And like I mentioned, you have quite the resume, and it can't be a coincidence because you seem to always get involved with a business right before they start growing at a very rapid pace. So could you maybe talk to us a bit about that? Talk to us a bit about your experience with some of these brands and what some of the strategies were that helped drive that type of growth?
2: Yeah, so I do like to be in businesses that are well, the Pioneers, just post startup, two, three years old, and generally speaking across all the businesses I've been in. The objective is to build a team. Ultimately, that's where it's starting from. The reason already an established team on any kind of area, from AO to Look Holidays to Ribble, as an example, is to go in and devise and drive the digital strategy. And that's across from a marketing perspective, but also from a tech perspective, because they are so interlinked. And as over the years, e-commerce has become more, established that area is becoming more and more blurred in regards to what is needed from the team and generally speaking how i approach it is usually around grassroots developed teams so bringing people in with a passion for learning and a culture to make a difference and then set them the objective of why we are here for that brand and let them make it happen so effectively i'm an enabler of people and that has been applied in all businesses that i've worked from so again bringing in keen people who are willing to look to learn at the pace of which the businesses need to grow and the excitement about being in businesses and cultures like that is that you have to reinvent yourself every year every day because What is the thing that we need to be good at changes just as quick, and therefore, you need to develop a culture. So that culture has been ingrained and built within each of the businesses up here.
1: makes sense. And obviously, at AO and Love like you mentioned, you guys saw tremendous growth during your long tenure. It looks like you helped build the teams, drove a lot of the grassroots initiatives that led to the growth. Could you talk to me a bit about what attracted you to Ribble, this over 130-year-old bike company from the 1800s. Curious, like what attracted you to Ribble in the first place? There was a few things.
2: One, as a product, it's always been a pioneer in what it did. So it's always had a proposition around customization and bespoke bicycles, but it was also a pioneer in the fact that it was probably one of the first mail-order businesses in its industry. It was one of the first businesses to have an e-commerce website. But looking behind that, It was a family-run business that had little to no team in place, and they had managed to grow it to what it was with the reputation that it had. And it just had green fields of opportunity to get behind it, to put a data-led approach in it. And again, it was like starting from scratch, but with a 120-year-old business. And those type of things, I would say, is unique. Because usually we'll have processes and teams of values already ingrained from a digital strategy perspective in a business of that size, but it wasn't then. They've done a fantastic job and it was an opportunity to accelerate that. So again, it was a blank piece of paper. Their MI was look at the accounts on a monthly basis. Is it down? And that's as far as they did from a data-led approach. And therefore, there was an opportunity to, from a technology perspective, replatform but also drive it in multiple channels. So it was the excitement to start, effectively a start, but with an established 100-year-old brand. On top of that, it's bicycles, and I like riding the bike. And therefore, it's not only a job, it's a passion. And when you find a way of getting those two things together, I'm not going to work. It's like going shopping every day. I enjoy that experience of what we're doing and what we're designing and what we're building, as well as from a tech perspective. It's also exciting.
1: And I know you were at Ribble well before the COVID e-commerce boom, but I think during COVID, and one thing that I've seen is a lot of legacy brands that typically didn't sell online or had a very limited presence online were forced to do rapid digital acceleration during COVID. And I think there's portfolios of brands that never sold online, that were big in retail stores that were starting to kind of head in that direction. What would be some of the advice that you had for someone that was kind of in a similar situation where, hey, maybe they're working on a entrenched brand with great reputation, great product, almost like a sense of pent up demand, just starting with the digital distribution, what would be your top piece of advice for someone finding themselves in a digital role, looking to take something that's more of a brick and mortar brand into the digital age? Yeah, that's a great question. Fundamentally, at first, is not to lose sight of
2: what your brand is about in regards to those values or the USPs. We'll truly understand that. And To understand your customer, because what's going to happen is that as you start stepping into a digital strategy, there are things that you will be implementing and trying to follow best practices, but your thing that's gonna keep you different amongst all the other e-commerce businesses out there and all the other brands is what's the thing that made you in the first place. If you don't keep hold of that essence and making sure that from a brand execution, that feeds through all your digital strategy. You just become a samey, just like anybody else type, and your legacy, and the legacy of the values that drive the success, whether that's craftsmanship, whether that's heritage, whether that's product design, whatever that is, make sure that it bleeds through your experience, because what happens is that you will look for the acceleration or the accelerators to deliver this, such as your standard e-com platform, such as enable yourself on Facebook, all these things, every other brand has access to. Anybody could be on a Shopify account. Anybody could have a Magento website. Anybody could set up a Facebook ad. But what the difference is, how you communicate your brand through your experience and that is the thing that you need to land and keep consistent because they're the things that will make you win when it comes to attracting that customer to entice them into your journey and allow you to have the cut through. Because, like Hayley needs to has been an acceleration of brands moving into the digital space. Therefore, it's becoming more saturated as a marketplace. There's only so many impressions out there to get hold of. Therefore, when you are in front of somebody, you are able to use the thing that made
1: you a fantastic brand, also a digitally performant brand too. makes a lot of sense. And that kind of leads me into my next question around, when you got to Ripple, what was the top things that as soon as you came in, you assessed the brand, you said, okay, these are the top three things that we need to execute in the first three months or the first year to really lay out the foundation for exactly what you're saying which is effectively driving digital performance over time through your strategy. Like what was some of those key baseline components, something a little more tactical?
2: Yeah. So the mantra I have is effectively, if it's caused your business success, you need to be doing it in-house. And the reason why I believe that is that you've got to be on the pulse and you've got to be closer to it. You've got to believe it. You've got to feel it. You want the performance of the business. To believe through into your activation and your acceleration. So, for day one, it was to get control of my digital channels, bring in a team that I can control on, whether that's Google, Facebook, or Meta now, so that I'm in control of the levers that drive sessions. Equally, for Ribble, is a direct to consumer bike brand, where the only place where you can buy our products is through our e commerce website. And therefore, that was step two, was to bring in control of development of the site, because that's what is going to involve. That's the shop. If it was a physical shop, I had a shop with millions of people over a year walking through it, and they're coming in in all different ways. I need to get control of that. I need to be building that, and I need to be evolving that as quickly as I can to shape those journeys so that I drive e-commerce performance. So. I'm driving the sessions, I'm driving technology innovation to allow my storefront to be reflective of my brand and my proposition, and that was day one. You ultimately get control of those things, and then once I got control of that, it's understanding how they overlapped and how one interacted with the other so that I can drive data-led decisions of where I deploy my next move is it to spend more to get more in regards to the digital channels, or is it optimize more to try and drive conversion and sales? Because that's always that constant balance and a constant battle. Because ultimately, if I have better conversion rate, I will spend more and get more traffic, and conversion rate will go down. It's never that these two KPIs will always rise. They're always in a good tension, and with the opportunity to be responsible for both digital marketing as well as tech, it's even more exciting because the technologies that you put in place and the changes you're making are there to complement
1: each other because ultimately what we're here to do is sell bikes. Makes a ton of sense. And it sounds like in a lot of way, customer sentiment and macro is going to drive a lot of the yearly focuses. So like, for example, for certain brands, driving traffic during 2020 and 2021 was really, really important And we're kind of seeing different trends depending on macro environment, customer sentiments. What do you think some of the trends are for 2023 that you've been seeing? What are some of the hot things? I mean, we had the AI automations. We have a lot of that stuff going on. What are some of the top trends that you're looking at that actually think can help you deliver sustainably to your KPIs?
2: Everyone's looking for digital growth. Digital growth through investments on Meta, TikTok, Google, whatever they can spend money on, which will drive their business. It's seen as the opportunity of an easy win. But there is a point where it's not easy and the markets become more saturated. And not only that, your effectiveness is being compressed with new rules and new regulations put in place, such as the privacy initiatives, the browsers deprecating features on what you can see or how you can use cookies. So therefore, your visibility and your ability to target people has been diminished at the same time as more people moving into the digital space has increased. So therefore, that inventory is getting smaller and the effectiveness is getting harder to deliver. And what we are seeing as important is how do you leverage your data to be more effective? And we are using, is leveraging AI machine learning to help devise an algorithm of effectiveness to be able to pump scores back into the advertising platforms such as Meta and Google to enrich their algorithms. Because the challenge we've got is there's only so much data for them to learn from, and they've only got so much markets to use. And if they're only using their own data, then they'll miss it out on your first-party data, which allows them to accelerate their learning to understand who you actually want. So we're heavily invested into developing this machine learning algorithm that effectively creates a score for our customers to be able to say, well, these are actually good customers. It's not did they click or where they clicked. It's what they do and how long they browse and how far did they get. Because what we have got is that when people shop, it's multi-touch. It's multi-experience. But there's always a particular session or an experience that they had on their website that is the actual thing that tipped them over the edge. They may come back and buy on a separate date. But it's taking that data, packaging it up and injecting it back into the big algorithms that Meta and Google have got for them to accelerate their learning so that they can go find people like the people who like to perform the way you want them to perform on your digital experience. That in turn then drives a better quality session. Into your site that is more likely to convert. Because it's not necessarily just about trying to find sessions, it's trying to find quality sessions. And with the restriction and the removal of historic easy levers on targeting, you now need to be much smarter and you need to utilize your own data to drive that performance for them because it's not as easy as just dropping a pixel, on picking some options like it once was. So it's definitely about those marginal gains and making sure that you make that experience of when they're on the website much more sticky. And the further down the funnel you can get them, the better quality metrics you get, which you can then feed back into the digital platforms, such as TikTok, Meta, The Pugles.
1: That makes sense. Basically, what you're saying is with the restrictions on deprecating certain features on browsers like cross browser tracking, cookies, things like that, effectively, it's reduced the effectiveness of the out of the box algorithms for a lot of these big platforms. And you effectively now need to leverage first party data from your website and your digital channels to be able to effectively feed back into the algorithm so that when you are spending that money to get that session back at a later date, it's someone that's much further into the sales cycle. And I feel like, as you'd mentioned before, that's especially important for you guys because of how much of a considered purchase you might get the occasional session that hops on and they click and they buy the same day. But to your point, it's probably a few and far in between and maybe they've been following your Instagram account for three years or their best friend just bought a Ribble Cycle and they sat on it and said, hey, I'm going to get the same bike today. But to your point, I think you see, especially with where the sentiment is, the uncertainty from like a macro standpoint, I think you are right. I think you need to fight harder for the conversion than you had to over the last few years. And it's harder because of some of the data that you guys relied on or everyone relied on historically is now not available anymore. Matt, I want to double tap on something you said earlier. And you are kind of that perfect mix of, you have the experience to drive results. You understand tech. You also understand marketing and sales, which is very rare to have that all. And one thing that I typically see, or I've seen a lot, is people rely a lot on agencies, right? And one thing that you mentioned earlier is you have a belief in bringing in-house when you can for key parts of the business. Could you maybe talk about your view on that from a technical standpoint? Like When you look at tech, how do you balance getting the scale of an agency when needed, maybe for a larger project, but then running more of the day-to-day or having a part of that in-house? Like How have you balanced that during your career? Because I think that's something that a lot of businesses go back and forth on some people are all we need to outsource everything other people we need to in-house everything how do you strike that balance and what's your personal opinion on that from a
2: technical perspective you've got something to build there's always something to build it's either build or fix or evolve you know there's something we have to keep on working on and where i've always settled is that the core team needs to be in-house because there's always going to be stuff to do and there's always going to be new initiatives to lead and time to time there will be a growth driving plan and you need to accelerate it. The thing that you would want to be able to leverage is the scope for agency support, but anti-agency. What I am is, what are they going to bring to the table that I haven't got? What they can bring is the ability to accelerate on projects. But fundamentally, that core team who needs to own and maintain and understand the business and the buzz of the business, the culture of the business, that's really hard to outsource. And when it comes to push, comes to shove and go above and beyond to fix, you're best relying on your friends and your family and an in-house team is your friends and your family. Yes, you can make those relationships with the agencies, but they're the ones who are going to be in the trenches with you where we need to get our project delivered. And that is where I feel the balance of in-house is much greater than... And an agency model, because when times are tough, and every business going through this, no matter how big or small, there's good times and there's bad times. When it's good times, everybody's having a good time. Your agency having a good time. They like talking about success. They like to feel happy. They like to feel progress. But when it's tough, an agency can go talk to another agent, another business which they're doing well with and feel good about themselves, and you know they'll move forward. When things are tough, your team are there feeling it, and they want to work through it. They know that everyday matters. They know that potentially we need to drive that commercial win to get it over the line, to get the next sale live, to get those sales through the door, to get the cash flow in, to make sure that they look around and it's the people around them that they're doing it for. That is something you can't outsource, and that's what drives a team to build a culture that succeeds. And then again, back to what I said earlier about a grassroots-led culture, just wanting to make stuff happen is crucial. And you breed it and you live it. And that's where that balance is. An agency can help
1: you accelerate it, but the core will always be delivered from within. I think you're right. I think effectively what you're saying is you likely can't outsource a high-performing culture at the core. And it sounds like your philosophy on this is you need key stakeholders that are part of the family and the business unit that feel that accountability. They want to ride the waves, but they're also, they're going to be there to help pick up the pieces when things don't go according to plan, which obviously it happens at every single point of a business. And it sounds like really what you use agency scores to accelerate things that are already working or use it to really augment the core team to help accelerate timelines of delivering a project. Makes a ton of sense. Switching gears a little bit here. What's one thing that you think e-commerce brands should stop doing?
2: Making them stop looking for the silver bullet. Stop looking for that one thing that's going to be the win. Stop looking for the SaaS technology that's just going to deliver it all or the new e-commerce platform, or the new website they're designing, or whatever, it stops seeing it as this is the thing. Because no matter how many times I've done a re-platform, no matter how many times I've changed technologies, the wins come from the graft. The wins come from grinding it out. And there isn't an easy win to on scale. It's all about the incrementality and the marginal gains that you get through every single channel, through every single touch point, what you've got to focus on is, how do I grind it out quicker? And how do I do a better job when I do it? And if the tools aren't helping you accelerate that, then that's the thing to look at. But it's not to go, here's a quick win, this is the magic bullet. It's to go, okay, can I dial it up even more when that thing's in place, or that technology is in place? Is it a limiting factor? But it's definitely not going to be that magic bullet that's going to send it all in the sales to the point where I can retire, I can go to the beach, put my feet up and drink a cocktail. I've been looking for many years for those things. But where I've seen the win is, is where we've been able to take what is good practice to then take it to best practice to then be doing things nobody else is doing. And that is where the marginal gains and the competitive advantage comes from. It's like that obsession about every single step of your journey. You need to be looking for the marginal gains and go, okay, how do I fix it? How do I move it? How do I get that person from one stage to the other? It's not about the final conversion. It's about that step by step by step and understanding your journey and working out that rather than going, well, when we deliver the new mobile experience, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be perfect. It's never that. The chances are you're going to introduce more issues and you're going to have to work at that. But ultimately, you keep on dialing up that new experience and it'll be far better than it was before. But it's
1: never as easy as one, two, three. It's funny you say that. I actually have a mentor that told me once that progression is boring. It comes from a series of boring things. And it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's getting 1% better every week. And then looking back and seeing it from there versus hey, let's put all of our resources on this project that we expect to deliver a 10x result. It's actually much more simple than that. It's about shooting bullets instead of a cannon. And a cannon project is what you just mentioned. Like, we're going to put all of our resource in time and we're going to shoot the cannon, but we better hope it hits versus just shooting bullets and then something really taking off. I know we're coming up on time here, so just last question. And you're all about delivering results. And it sounds like what you chatted about, and just to paraphrase a little bit, is take what's critical, make sure you have a direct pulse on it, deliver measurable, consistent, incremental gains, and that will get you to your final goal. What do you think one of the basic things that may be easy to understand, but hard to actually perfect that most businesses overlook? Do you think there's some kind of fundamental thing that you've consistently seen in your peer groups? That people just kind of overlook and it actually has a bigger impact on their goals than they think? There is a definite bias towards
2: looking out, not in, when it comes to looking for growth. Look at all those customers out there. The marketplace is big. And when you look at your sector, you'll see that your sector will be some sort of multiple of millions or billions. And you go, okay, I want a big piece of that. That's great. And you can look to do that. And you can spend more money doing that. And I feel like people feel it's easier to get their CEOs, their FDs, their marketing directors to sign those checks. And they're usually big checks every single month on trying to get more customers Look it out. Come on, get the sessions. I will love the sessions. Get them in. But really, if you turn around, look who's already in your shop. Because if it was a physical store, and if you look at what, Industry averages for conversion rate are, you're looking at, what, a good 3%? Some have put it at 6%. When I was in travel, it was sub 1% conversion rates. That's scary. Sub 1% conversion rate. Effectively, nearly everybody who walks into shop walks out without buying anything. That's a star reality, but the culture is, go get me more of them. Go get more of these people. Bring them in. Cram them into the shop. But really, if we looked at our e-commerce platforms, and again, related to the physical space of if it was a physical store, you're walking around that shop going, right, where's the eye Oh, wait, there is no path to the checkout, or the product's in the wrong order, or I'm saying it the wrong way. So I walk through the front door, what do you say? You scream insane at them. Is that the right thing to do? So I just walk through your shop. Understanding of that physical journey that you're taking your customers on from a digital perspective definitely changes your thinking because there's huge opportunities in smoothing those journeys. Focus on conversion rate. No, it's just focused on customer and making sure you deliver an experience that is invested to the equivalent level that you're willing to invest into finding sessions to what you're then converting sessions. It will then compound your effectiveness of the driving sessions. So look at that. Look at the balance of spend and where your opportunities are. And it's usually back behind
1: you in your shop, not outside, trying to drive more people through the door. I love that. I think that's a perfect mic drop moment to wrap us up today. Really appreciate your time, Matt. Obviously, you have a ton of experience. You have a big track record. It seems like you kind of have the lightest touch every digital business you join seems to grow really quickly and profitably after you join. Like I mentioned before, I don't think it's a coincidence. You're either the luckiest man in the world or you deliver consistently through your strategies. And I think it's most definitely the second part of that. So I appreciate your time. Is there anything else before we sign off today? No, enjoy it, giant.
2: I think it's been a brilliant session. So thank you. Awesome. Thanks again, Matt.
0: The e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives is brought to you by Noibu. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening.